Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called An Urban Epiphany. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 5th, 2014, The Feast of Epiphany. It's a guest essay by Edwina Gately. The Epiphany celebrates the journey of the Magi, bringing gifts in recognition of the Incarnation, the coming of Jesus into our world. Epiphany is derived from a Greek word meaning revelation, or an intuitive grasp of a new reality. The three kings experience this consciousness of mystery in the birth of Christ. Such insights change one's perception of reality forever, as did my encounter with an old street wino. He was dirty, and he smelled. I almost tripped over him lying on the sidewalk, drunk as a skunk and out of it, as they say. My religious tradition had taught me to see Jesus in everyone. But this was a bit much. There was not a shred of revelation or glory or good news at my feet. I didn't even think of trying to do anything for Mark, who was clearly past any hope of transformation. But over the years, I got to know and befriend this old wino. Beneath all his external diminishment, there eventually emerged a gentle soul, it was like finding a diamond in a dung heap. Whenever Mark knew that I was going to be out on the streets doing outreach for the women in prostitution, he would go to the Salvation Army, shower, shave, change clothes, and not take a drink that day. He would then accompany me on my street walks like a respectable co-minister. As time went by, Mark joined me in visiting friends who lived in a small Christian community in the countryside. He loved the forests and the small wild animals. He listened in awe to the song of the birds and was delighted at the movements of tiny insects and bugs. Mark the wino made me think of St. Francis. One day, Walking through the forest, I noticed a table leg sticking out from beneath the undergrowth. It had probably been abandoned years ago and was overgrown with wild bushes and brambles. But I observed carvings on the legs of the table like grapes and vine leaves, and I knew that it must once have been quite beautiful. Mark and I pulled the table from beneath the bushes and carried it up to the garage. There it stood, large and painted red, but I could see the carvings on the legs. I'll fix it, declared Mark. With a piece of broken glass, he began to scrape. Beneath the red paint was green paint, and the old man scraped. Beneath the green paint was brown paint, and the old man scraped. For six months, he scraped. 
until one day there it was, a beautiful antique oak carved table in all its original natural beauty. Mark stood by the table, and I felt God say, the table is Mark, and Mark is the table. For me, it was an epiphany, a revelation of something beautiful and true beneath a reality of external diminishment. It was a new perception. Mark stayed with our Christian community for over three years before moving back into the inner city to live in a transient hotel. We remained good friends, and he continued to visit our community for vacations and holidays. One day, when I was out of the country, I received a phone call from Chicago informing me that Mark had been found dead in his room. He died of a heart attack. In his hand, they found, scribbled, found a scribbled note, next of kin, Edwina. Returning to Chicago, I went to the funeral home where Mark lay in his coffin. He was wearing a pinstriped suit with a kerchief. Where did you get that? I asked the funeral director. He never had a suit in his life. That, declared the funeral director, is my best suit. I knew who he was. I knew he was your brother. I knew he was special. So I put my best suit on him. I stood by the body of the old street wino, now my brother and next of kin, and I heard God say, This is my beloved son. Indeed, this is what the epiphany is all about. It's about the recognition of the divine in our world and in each one of us. The three kings recognized the divinity in Christ and celebrated that awareness, bringing gifts. We are all called to celebrate Epiphany, to recognize the divine presence in all, and to acknowledge that we all are sons and daughters of God. We're next of kin. In the Gospel of John for this week, John the Baptist testifies to the light in our world. That light continues to shine. We must recognize it. We need an epiphany. Then, indeed, we will see a deeper reality beneath all pain and diminishment. And, as we read in Jeremiah 31 for this week, we will celebrate the coming of the light. Jeremiah writes, Their soul shall be like a watered garden. They will sorrow no more. I will change their mourning into gladness, comfort them, and give them joy. An Urban Epiphany by Edwina Gately For books this week, I review a title called Opportunity Montana, Big Copper, Bad Water, in the Burial of an American Landscape. The author is Brad Tyre, Boston Beacon Press, 2013, 
232 pages. Brad Tyre was a seventh-generation Texan when he moved to Montana about 10 years ago. He didn't know anything about the state except what you might see in coffee table books, so he expected nothing but what he called scenic superlatives. But then his job for the weekly independent newspaper in Missoula opened his eyes to the state's many contradictions. It's a red and rural state with liberal enclaves, and a place where the locals are resentful of non-residents who buy their massive ranches to fish in bubbly brooks. As a journalist, Tyre investigated one of the state's most glaring contradictions. In addition to scenic superlatives, Montana is also home to one of the country's saddest environmental debacles. The story centers around the Clark Fork River, the biggest river in the state, which was dammed in 1908 and consequently became the dump, the dump site for a hundred years of industrial copper mining waste. Of course, these toxins poison the land, the water, the air, the wildlife, and the people, and in particular, the tiny town called Opportunity in its population of 500 people. There are 17 Superfund sites in Montana. By 1983, the EPA had designated the Clark Fork River as the biggest and the baddest. In the ensuing decades, and after hundreds of millions of dollars, the dam was removed and the river was rebuilt. One question for any cleanup, though, is where to haul all the toxic waste that you excavate from the contaminated site. The little town of Opportunity was the destination for three to four million cubic yards of mining sludge, courtesy of the Anaconda Copper Company's work there from 1910 to 1972. As Tyre writes, the copper that wired America had a price, and opportunity paid it. It paid twice, once with the original contamination, then again as the destination for the larger area's cleanup waste. Tyre's book is part memoir and part environmental elegy. It's a carefully researched case study with no easy answers. Environmental justice, he writes, is an ethical inquiry into the equitable distribution of burdens. Things like 4,000 acre plots of toxic waste, resulting from endeavors that produce waste, which is to say, industrial economies. Anaconda and Arco made their millions, if not billions. Politicians preened. The lawyers lawyered. The government was feckless. The world got its copper. Environmental experts and groups haggled. The citizens complained. And in the end, Opportunity Montana paid for it all with an environmental death sentence. <coughs> the author is Brad Tyre. The name of the book, Opportunity Montana, Big Copper 
bad water in the burial of an American landscape. For movies this week, I review the documentary Inequality for All from 2013. Hardly a month goes by without mention of the growing gap between the rich and poor. There are important disagreements about the causes, the consequences, and solutions of radical inequality, but the reality of it is undeniable. Robert Reich, Secretary of Labor under Clinton, an economics professor at Berkeley, narrates this documentary about what's happened to the American economy in the last 30 years. He has a marvelous sense of humor that diffuses a divisive issue, and a passion and technical expertise about his life work. Yes, there are a welter of graphs and statistics in this movie, but also lots of good storytelling and interviews with ordinary Americans. There will always be inequality in any economy. The question, says Reich, is how much is too much? With vocal agitators from the right, like the Tea Party, and the left, like the Occupy movement, it seems like we've reached that limit. What nation's economy should we imitate? Reich has the perfect answer. America in its earlier and better days. Inequality for all. And for the first Sunday of the new year 2014, in the Feast of Epiphany, we've posted a poem by Walter Brueggemann. It's called Epiphany. On Epiphany Day, we are still the people walking. We are still people in the dark. And the darkness looms large around us, beset as we are by fear, anxiety, brutality, violence, loss. A dozen alienations that we cannot manage. We are, or we could be, people of your light. So we pray for the light of your glorious presence as we wait for your appearing. We pray for the light of your wondrous grace as we exhaust our coping capacity. We pray for your gift of newness that will override our weariness. We pray that we may see and know and hear and trust in your good rule. That we may have energy, courage, and freedom to enact your rule through the demands of this day. We submit our day to you and to your rule with deep joy and high hope. Walter Brueggemann, Epiphany. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for January 5th, 2014. Happy New Year. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.